I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. You've just tuned in to Rebel Wellness, the podcast that's here to revolutionize your approach to personal health and well-being. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join our Rebel community. In a world that's saturated with fleeting diet trends and unrealistic beauty standards, we believe it's time for serious change. Our mission is simple yet profound, to empower women like you to break free from the confines of today's diet culture and embrace a holistic approach to health that's sustainable for the long haul. If you're like me, you're here to embrace the concept that true well-being encompasses every facet of your life, mind, body, and soul. Rebels believe in aligning our journey with our individual needs and values because a one-size-fits-all approach just simply doesn't cut it anymore. This podcast is your safe space to explore the depths of wellness guided by myself, experts, real-life stories, and genuine commitment to your growth. You're here to begin your transformative journey, and it's time to discover your own version of balance in your health. Every week when you tune into Rebel Wellness, we'll learn, grow, and rebel against the polarizing outdated norms to finally achieve lasting vitality and joy. Because that sounds pretty great, right? Your journey starts now, and I am so excited that you're here. Hello, we are back here on another scary or not episode. I'm just kind of making themes out of each month <laughs> this first year of the podcast, so I'm hope you're I hope you're enjoying it. Um, today's topic is really very important because arguably I think it might be one of the most important episodes for all females to hear, maybe all males as well, who knows, because I think there's a lot of gold in this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy kind of getting a more well-rounded understanding about what the weight on the scale means and how to better interpret it or how to change your interpretation rather. And also I'm going to give you a little bit of insights about like BMI and other things that you might not fully understand, except you might hear your doctor constantly say your BMI is kind of high, or maybe have the audacity to just be like, your BMI says you're obese, even though maybe you actually aren't obese. So we're going to talk about all of that and more today, but I do hope that you can um, understand that I am coming at this topic with a full well-rounded understanding of everybody has of everybody's different relationship to the scale and to themselves because of the scale. So I really encourage you to come with an open mind listening to this and trying to remove anything you've been indoctrinated with from your past because as we know a lot of our moms or grandmas or anybody who was an adult female in the 1900s for a significant amount of time, uh, there was a lot of very toxic energy and conversation around women and their weight. And it typically was always surrounding the scale. So do know that it's very important to kind of sit back and reflect on where you learned your mentality around the scale and how you treat it, because a lot of times we just adopt it from our mothers. So it's very important for you to understand that. I, I didn't really have uh, a very specific mother presence in my early life, so I didn't have as much of that exposure as I know a ton of my clients and friends have um, growing up with a mom that was around and kind of 
imprinting on them a lot and um, not in a way to ever shame our mothers, but it's very important to understand that our female, uh, our female influences were very strongly tied to our moms, typically, not always, maybe you're like me, didn't really have a mom that was consistent in the beginning of your life. And that can come with a lot of baggage and it's not necessarily their fault. A lot of the times this conversation was never had, which is why I'm having this conversation with you. And I'm hoping that it can influence you to better understand yourself, have a little bit more grace with yourself and utilize the scale in a different way. So we are going to swan dive into the question of to weigh or not to weigh. (laughs) And I'm going to give you my full professional approach to using the scale in today's chat And I'm going to share some scenarios for you to consider when you are deciding if you should frequently weigh yourself or not. And at the end of this chat, I'm going to break down what I think is single-handedly the best measure of your health that you can absolutely do right away to get a better picture of your internal health and external health from a body composition standpoint and a lot of other tangible things that might be worth considering. We like to call them non-scale victories because it's not always about the scale, but today's chat is about the scale because it is definitely a hot topic constantly throughout our lives as females from like sometimes the moment we become conscientious of our bodies, unfortunately. So without further ado, let's get into it. So kind of like I mentioned a bit ago, I don't have a lot of very early instances where I became hyper obsessed with my weight on the scale. I think it was beneficial that I never had that um, influence in my life from an early age. I would say that I probably started to get influenced about my physique more when I was like 10, if I can remember correctly. And then though, it definitely became apparent that all my peers around me were starting to get concerned about their weight and all this stuff. And for me, I was just like, well, what exactly is an ideal weight? Like we're way too young to be concerned about a consistent weight because we're growing, you know? Um, And I remember I, I definitely didn't get any limitations on sweets. Like my grandmother, who was kind of my mother for a lot of my early life, she totally was the stereotypical grandma who was like, eat as much as you want. Like I was a Girl Scout and one time she was like, what cookies do you want me to buy? And I was like, thin mints. And she's like, how many boxes? And I was like, two. And she ordered 10. (laughs) And uh, I would frequently have multiple bowls of Fruity Pebbles after school, you know, the gambit. And I definitely had a little chubby belly. Like my family definitely ate well. I was raised by my Filipino Japanese side of my family. So that was food was food is our family. Like it is a big part of who I am and who we are and how we kind of celebrate together. And so I always ate well. And it wasn't until I had gotten sick with like pneumonia and something, some sort of virus that really knocked me out for like two weeks that I lost a lot of weight because I didn't feel like eating because I was really nauseous and all this kind of stuff. And then that kind of shifted me into becoming more aware that I had previously maybe too much belly fat for my age, you know, and um, it was always funny because I guess I do recall the most conversations about my body was from my grandmother. She was definitely from the era where they um, were hyper aware of their bodies and frequently would not eat 
if they needed to lose weight. She even told me that like after having my dad to lose weight, she would just not eat as much. (laughs) And I guess that kind of like makes sense for the whole like stereotypical calories in calories out equation. But um, for these situations, it, she didn't tell me that until I was a lot older, but for the moment that I had like lost a bunch of weight because I got sick. Um, and fortunately I kind of landed at still like a healthier body type, uh, clothes fit me differently, you know, all that kind of stuff. She would make comments and she'd be like, Oh, you got too skinny. Like we need to eat more. But then it was always like the Filipino dichotomy of like, you're not eating enough, you're too skinny. Okay, you're eating too much, you're too fat. You know, all of my clients who come from like Latin backgrounds or Asian backgrounds, they totally understand this because it's like such a hilarious synergistic issue <laughs> that we deal with um, that is very confusing to navigate as somebody on the other end. Because you're like, Wait, well, where am I supposed to be? Like, am, am I ever going to please you with my physique? Which honestly, any ethnicity across the board, I've seen just constant mental turmoil with understanding where their body should be, what is actually healthy for them and whatnot. So as I got older, Um, I realized in high school, like when my girlfriend started taking like all of those different diet pills and tons of diet fads. Like I remember one of my good friends at the time in like high school, she did the special K diet and gave herself like shingles or something where basically, cause she was only eating special K for every single meal for several weeks. Like her body was getting depleted of nutrients and it was like, yo, I can't do this forever. Um, And I just remember like the extent that we would start to just do these ridiculous diet things at such a young age. Like when we should probably have just been worrying about like schoolwork and having fun and learning ourselves and growing our brains, you know, Um, instead we were like, a lot of us were riddled with like body insecurities and um, just anything to do with acceptance from others. And that's really normal, I know, in that phase of life. But it does kind of suck because just thinking back to how many of my friends were like 13 and trying to take Ally. I don't know if you remember that diet pill, but it was the one that basically made you like crap out oil because it was like trying to keep you from absorbing fats. Um, There was several of my closest friends were like taking that, trying to see if it could help them lose weight. And in reality, they were totally out of absolutely fine, healthy body fat percentage. So I know how much we are started at a young age with being concerned about how we look, how much we weigh. And it was almost always kind of oriented around like, look at the scale, watch the scale, make sure you stay a certain weight. And I remember breaking up with my first love, quote unquote, in a freshman year. And I, at the time was the type of person who stopped eating, like didn't feel like eating when you were, when I was grieving. And I dropped like 15 pounds or something like, yeah, because I was almost, well, I am leery to share weights with you guys because I know that um, I don't want you to focus on weights and comparison. So um, I'm not going to really, I don't think I'm going to give weights actually while I'm talking about this, but it put me in a position where um, I basically could fit really easily into a size zero pants. And I was really small. And I remember like my best friend commenting on me. She was just like, Kaylee, you're like really tiny. Like I didn't realize how tiny you were. And I was like, because I'm not normally like this is actually me in a unfed state. And that kind of furthered into the rest of my life. So any of the times I've been quote unquote tiny or skinny were the least healthy times in my life. And maybe for you, if you're reflecting on yourself after hearing my story, were you ever in a very unhealthy state 
mentally or physically or both when you were your thinnest, quote unquote. I hate terms skinny, thin, all of those things. My clients know this, but I'm using them because they're the most relatable because that's what like society uses for us. And um, it's very important to know that because like, again, too, like one of my quote unquote more fit states, I was very hyper controlling over my food and everything because everything else in my life felt out of control. So I was controlling over my fitness and my food and all that stuff. So there's a lot of ways that we might not realize sometimes a certain physique was only achieved because of like something extremely unhealthy for us. So it is important to know that if you are somebody who has like leaned on the scale every time you are going through something and you kind of uh, value yourself, whether or not it's going down or going up, we almost all have been programmed to give ourselves little rewards mentally when we see the scale lower than the previous time we weighed ourselves. You know, like how many times have you stepped on the scale and you're like, Ooh, that's lighter than I thought. And you're like, happy dance inside. But then you weigh yourself and you're like, maybe a pound up or something. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm getting fat. In reality, I'm going to talk in a little bit here about what influences the weight on the scale for moving. And it's almost always never fat gain. (laughs) Um, especially with acute weighing shifts. So we'll get into that more in a little bit, but I just kind of wanted to share a little bit of that background with you of like my relationship with a scale and um, what I've seen, because at this point, I still have to fight myself personally with the reward system of the scale. I frequently avoid weighing myself now when I know I've done certain participated in certain habits or things that are going to influence the scale number going up because I know that I will get some sort of disappointment regardless of how much I am in a healthier place understanding my body. It's something that might never go away fully, but by understanding all of the nuances that I'm about to tell you, it will give you a lot more empowerment and understanding how you should be treating the scale for yourself and manage your understanding of what the weight means for you. So I really hope that it'll be helpful for you in the long run, because ultimately your weight is just your gravitational pull on earth. And we can interpret the data differently to better understand what the weight means, but you having weight at all is necessary. If Unless you want to float away into space, you need to have weight. And the less weight you have isn't always the better. So let's continue to listen to the rest of this chat with that in the forefront of your mind, because it's really important that you get a healthier viewpoint of what the weight means, because praising getting skinnier and the scale going down is negative in the long run because then we train ourselves to only want to see constant scale rewards and we do need to implement a lot more non-scale victories into our life because our health is not directly correlated to the scale. It can be, but for many of us, the scale is just data of your gravity and that gravity is tied to very specific nuances that I'm about to tell you right now. Okay, so what are very specific considerations that you should have with understanding the scale? So first off, I'm going to repeat it again. The scale is literally measuring your gravity, your gravitational pull here on Earth. 
With that said, the more mass you have, the heavier that number will be. The less mass you have, the lower that number will be. More mass in general is not innately unhealthy. So it very much depends on a lot of factors. And that goes everything from your genetics, because a lot of ethnicities have health at higher body fat percentages and others have health at lower body fat percentages. Some people, like if you ever have ever had that friend who can eat a burrito and like seven beers and stay tiny, that's a whole different metabolism. That's called an ectomorph. There's three body types that we kind of generalize people into. Sometimes you can be a hybrid of one or the other or two rather. There's mesomorph who is basically going to be somebody who can add muscle pretty easily, lose fat if they really put their mind to it relatively easily and keep weight off generally well. And then there's people who are endomorphs who are usually like shorter, stockier body types. They can add fat really fast, but they can also add muscle really fast, but they have a hard time losing fat. Ectomorphs are the type who have a really hard time putting on muscle, but can keep fat off very easily. And it typically typically correlates to your genetics and your metabolism based off of uh, your environment, nature, and nurture. So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But um, I will note, despite popular opinion of some scientific uh, voices that came out and said, oh, being obese is genetic, yes and no. Again, you can have genetics that are encouraging you to be a higher body fat percentage if several generations ahead of you were obese. However, you can absolutely prevent obesity for yourself by lifestyle because lifestyle is what kind of pulls the trigger. So for everybody who kind of wants to believe that it's in their genetics that they're obese, not necessarily. It's typically because your environment encouraged obesity, aka a high body fat percentage, and then your lifestyle continued it. So that's something that I think is really important for people to understand because it's not a personal thing. It's actually just that, yes, genetics can become altered now that we've had more and more generations of really high body fat percentage humans. But is it going to be a death sentence for you? No. Will it be harder for you to keep fat off if you do have some of those genetic cofactors? Yes, but it's not end of everything for you. You're not just going to basically be born and step into obesity. It's, it's again, very much related to your mother's gut health and how they raise you and your family, what you ate as you got older and how it set your metabolism up based off of your environment. So that's really important to understand because I think um, I got that question a lot earlier this year when that scientist or doctor or whatever came out on television and said that. And uh, it's, it's a lot to do with your environment, less to do with just your genetics. But that would be an internal consideration that can impact the scale. You might be a person who trends on the higher body fat percentage. So that's where your ethnicity comes in. It's very important to understand that because that is what the scale of BMI does not take into account. So I'm going to do a quick mini tangent of why the BMI is stupid. <laughs> and I've actually literally told one of my male clients whose doctor kept continually telling him that his BMI meant he was obese when he was a six foot two, 235 pound man with only 18% body fat and a lot of muscle. So that made him heavier. So if you don't know what BMI is, the body mass index is a very easy generalization for Western medicine 
to get an idea of a person's potential health. It's just general. Most of the time now, it's just used for data for large populations because everybody who has a license has their height and their weight on it, right? A lot of the times the weight is not accurate. <laughs> like mine is actually 10 pounds less than I actually am now and that I've been since I got the original license, but whatever. That's the case for quite a few people. So again, it's very generalizy. And that's really what we use it in the census for kind of getting an idea of the general population's health. It has so much room for mistake. There's an issue with using BMI since it is your weight divided by your height. And it has, it has so many flaws, guys. <laughs> Basically, the issue with that is for my client, I'll use that example again, who is 6'2", 235, 18% body fat, lots of muscle. He technically is in a very healthy, strong body position for a adult male, but because his weight in relativity to his height is still higher, quote unquote, he is considered obese on the BMI scale, which he clearly is not. He had very healthy internal markers and that just was ridiculous. And I even told him to tell his physician if she called him obese when he was at his physical that year to tell her that she was dumb <laughs> for bothering to say that. And he did. He actually did. And uh, she was just like, I know I'm just required to say that. And I'm like, why though? Because it makes, we have tons and tons of data now that state how harmful it is more than beneficial to call a person a generalized term that society has really tainted by saying like, oh, you're obese, oh, you're overweight, you know, you're a slob, you know, all these horrible connotations that we put on people with higher body fat percentages that aren't necessarily true. And then we like sit down with like your trusted practitioner who is a person that typically everybody puts all of their uh, worth and understanding of their health in, even though they really shouldn't. <laughs> um, but naturally we do. And then they sit down and tell you like, oh, you're obese. And then you leave the office feeling like crap, right? Who has been called overweight or obese by their doctor before and been like, okay. And half the time they're just like, oh, you just really lost some weight or you need to lose some weight. I've had so many clients guys where I want to tear my hair out when I hear what their doctors tell them. I've literally had three clients specifically get eating disorders in college or early adulthood for poor advice from their doctor. Because you think that, oh, this is the person that has the utmost understanding of health. I have to trust them. And then like one of them was stressed out of her mind in law school and her doctor literally said, uh, and she was getting edema from it, which is water weight retention, like unex uh, unexplicable water retention. And uh, her doctor said, oh, you're just getting fat because you're overeating because you're stressed when she really wasn't. All she was doing was studying and actually under eating. So then she under ate more because she trusted her doctor and thought that she was actually gaining fat when in reality she was just swelling with water because her adrenals and kidneys were imbalanced, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. Cause the female body has very unique things that it can do when it's under high stress for a chronic period of time. And that was so irresponsible because then my poor client dealt with an eating disorder for like the last several years of college until she realized that that doctor was wrong. And this is not the first time that's happened. I've had so many so many clients have horrible experiences. Like actually one of my clients earlier this summer, she went to go have her physical and her doctor said, so have you always been chubby? She literally called her chubby. And it like, it like breaks my heart that people have the audacity 
just because they have a PhD behind their name to say things like that to people when they don't understand that a lot of this can mean an eating disorder for somebody. It can mean a whole bunch of horrible, horrible, horrible things. And they just kind of throw these words around and use outdated measures of health like the BMI. Um, And frankly, I think we should be throwing BMI out the window with doctor's visits because unless you're trying to use it for generalized data for people's health for some sort of census study or some crap, we shouldn't be using BMI. And it was literally developed in the 19th century by a Belgian astronomer, and he wanted to define the average man. But his average man that he used for that scale was a European white male. And he definitely didn't take into account different genetic differences. And he kind of just scaled the female's ideal BMI slightly higher than the male's. So it's not even actually based off of what is truly the healthier body fat percentages and BMI for women. So I like that's exactly why I have to go off on this tangent because yes, BMI is BS. Yes, it can give you some general ideas because I'm not saying that somebody who is above 50% body fat won't come back with a really high BMI, but generally you can take a look at somebody like somebody who is trained to understand body fat percentage. You can look at somebody and if you understand their genetic or ethnicity background and their current state of being, you can really understand whether or not a person is truly unhealthy and it should be a concern to bring up to them or not. Because I can, it's a weird talent of mine, but I can basically look at somebody and guess nearly exactly their body fat percentage because I've been around so many bodies and I've learned. And for me, I really like to see women between 18% and 36%. Some ethnicities are actually extremely healthy all the way up to 40%. When we start to go above 40%, we usually start to see a lot of health issues arise. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I would say if you can avoid BMI, if you can ignore a lot of things that your doctor is going to generically say to you when you go in, if you have an MD or a PCP or whatever, anything Western medicine, they're going to use the BMI and they'll probably use words that are hurtful or not ideal. And I would just put on blinders, ignore them during that part because BMI is dumb. I will talk more about what I'd like you to use for optimal health here in a moment, but That is one of the considerations that you should have. Actually, let's just get into what I would say instead now. So body fat percentage, like I was just saying, is actually my go-to marker when we're tracking for optimal health. Your body fat percentage is what's going to tell you what is your current state of your body and how is that impacted by an excess of body fat or a happy place of body fat or not enough body fat. Body fat has a lot to say about the female health, including hormones, stress, fertility, etc. When we're at too low of a body fat percentage, like I'd say anything under 18%, we start to lose things like our period, which is like our fertility. So a lot of females who exist at a really low body fat percentage most of their life typically deal with fertility issues. And this is a big issue we've been seeing, especially for people who are like celebrities who later in their career decided to try to have babies, but they were forced or encouraged to be really thin, quote unquote, for too long in their early years. That is a stressed position on the body. When we're too low in body fat as a female, our body does not read us as an optimal being to create a human. That's just point blank what it is, unfortunately, because our body fat is an organ. It does so much for us that we don't really fully understand that we're learning the intricacies of it more. 
And so when you understand and learn that body fat is actually something that helps the balance of more than just being blubber on your body, you can really understand that it's there to keep you healthier and to manage a lot for you. And our body fat not only stores hormones like estrogen and stuff, it also helps regulate everything else as well. So understanding that being too low body fat percentage, while it might look cool, while you might have abs, and also side note, everybody has ab muscles. It's just we have a layer of belly fat over them because of fertility. (laughs) A layer of belly fat is a sign of fertility. How big or how thick that layer is rather is going to be what shows other health things. So like a lot of belly fat, excess belly fat is usually a sign of insulin resistance and high cortisol. So we usually see a lot more belly fat in people who are constantly stressed or who don't have nervous systems that can relax. So um, I know for me, like when I first started my business and graduated college and was like all in running my own business, um, I gained my first little layer of belly fat that was super stubborn on my tummy. And I just was like, huh, well, there's that, you know, I remember being like, what is this? And then I realized I'm like, okay, my entire life, this whole first year is massively stressful. So I'm really not surprised, but it's, it's good to know that you need a certain level of belly fat, but when it starts to get in too much excess or not enough belly fat, you're going to see negative health changes on either end of the spectrum. So there's a happy place in the middle. Think of the bellies that you used to see in all of the sculptures like Michelangelo and stuff. That's actually a very healthy body fat percentage. That's why it was women were praised to be curvier and softer because that's fertility. And that's exactly why that was so important. And I hope that that gives you better understanding that Back then, their understanding of a healthy woman was actually somebody who was softer, who had a higher body fat percentage, but not too high, but definitely not low. Our obsession with being really lean and cut and all this kind of, or skinny, even skinny, like little skinny models, (laughs) that is something that is modernized. And it's not fertility and health and beauty that historically has always been for higher body fat percentage women. Like most of the healthiest women land in that 25% to 35% body fat percentage. That is a very, very healthy, happy, well-rested female body type. So if I had to give you a range, I would say anywhere between 18 to 36% body fat is actually a very good, healthy body fat percentage. And again, when you get like body fat scans and such, which I'll tell you some options there in a moment, those are not going to always relay to your best health. They are also on a scale that is outdated and typically actually the scales they use are for more for athletes, for female athletes. They're not as much for the average day-to-day human or female rather. That's important to also understand that those scales are also (laughs) outdated and not taking into consideration different ethnicities and yada, yada. So I have to constantly remind my clients that because they'll get their scans back or whatever and they'll look at it and be like, but the scale says that I'm outside of the healthy zone. And I'll be like, trust me, you're fine. Like, don't listen to those. You're not trying to be an Olympic athlete. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things going on here. Ignore it. We just want to know what that number is and we'll go from there. Um, but again, if you're somebody who values having healthy fertility, maybe not for actually having babies, but because it's a sign of your full health, your hormonal health, 
you're going to want to be at a higher body fat percentage than you think. And that's definitely higher than your high school body fat percentage for most of us. Many of us were like prepubescent little females who didn't have boobs and butts yet, you know, and that's a lower body fat percentage. We should never be back at that weight or that body fat percentage. I can't tell you enough that every female in the past that has said, I want to be my high school weight again. I want to fit in my high school jeans. They're always trying to look, or they're looking back at a weight or a body type that was literally prepubescent. It didn't have any feminine features yet because they weren't fully going through the changes that make them a woman, like an adult female with sex organs that are fully developed. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, okay, so do you want to take your boobs away? Do you want to lose your butt? You know, all these different things. And I'm like, let's realistically like cut high school out. Like high school was great and all. I hope you didn't peak in high school, you know, whatever. But at the same time, that was a different you. You're in a different chapter. We have to keep moving forward for our best physique and body in the future and the present. We have to stop thinking about the past. Because every time we want to go backwards, it's not going to happen. You're never going to go backwards. You can move forward and look similar to how you used to look or something. But your state of your body is constantly moving forward, whether you like it or not. So releasing that kind of obsession over anything from the past is really key for moving forward with body neutrality and better understanding about your body in general. So where can you go to find out your body fat percentage? You can definitely go to places that specialize in better quality body fat percentage measuring, like a DEXA scan or a BOD pod. Um, Hydrostatic weighing is no longer really a thing. Uh, They don't have it available in a lot of places. Plus you get wet. It's kind of like not necessarily the gold standard anymore. It can be if it's available to you. So if that's what's closest to you and the most affordable, go for it. But a DEXA scan can also give you intel on your bone density. So it was originally developed to kind of check women for like osteoporosis and different things like that. But they discovered that it is a great way to also find out more accurately somebody's body fat percentage as well as their lean muscle mass. And we really want to also track lean muscle mass. So body fat percentage is a much better way to track optimal health because of all those reasons I gave you. But also tracking your lean muscle mass is a very, very almost, I would say equal measurement of your overall health as well, because more muscle burns more calories at rest, has more balanced blood sugar, more balanced hormones, and overall is just a more energetic body. So having more muscle mass is equally important as far as if you're tracking health markers that matter compared to the scale. And in-body scans are what we call bioelectrical impedance, which basically shoots electrical waves through your body and it guesses by what it hits if it's water fat muscle or bone and then it gives you kind of a a generalized reading from that in body scans are the most widely available in most cities and they're usually either free at a lot of gyms or you might just pay like 20 to 40 dollars and you can look at inbody.com or might be inbodyusa.com and you can search for a local place that has them available for you to come in. And you can always call and be like, hey, do you have an in-body scan? Can I come if I'm not a member? Can I come if I'm not a patient? You know, whatever. Most places will allow you to. Um, But that's a great place to get a easier, closer to accuracy scan. I will say in-body scans, because they aren't quite as technically advanced as DEXA or BOD pods, they will be like anywhere from three to 6% variance of accuracy. But if you keep scanning from the same state, 
which you usually always want to be like first thing in the morning before you drink water, before you eat food, after you've gone to the bathroom and without working out. Those are the best kind of hygiene practices, so to speak, with prepping your body to get a most closely accurate to what you truly are. And then keep doing that the same way every six weeks or so, if you want to keep tracking yourself and your progress. You can also just do it quarterly um, just to check in and see where you're at. But in-body scans are very powerful in that way that they're easy to use and they're generally pretty accurate as far as just general tracking of your health markers. Lesser quality types of scans that are usually available are things like handheld body fat percentage things like the Omron readers. You'll see those a lot at big box gyms, trainers, or people, if you get a free session, they'll usually be like, here's your body fat percentage and you hold it out in front of you, you know, and those are lesser quality versions of bioelectrical impotence like in body scans, but they, um, they can get a general idea, but however, the issue that I always had, because when I worked at LA fitness in my early career days, we use those for clients. And, um, the biggest difference is that females carry a lot of our body fat and our lower bodies that the handheld Omron readers lose efficacy once they get through your trunk. And so they can be beneficial for males because most males typically don't carry a lot of body fat in their latter half, but we do. So it almost always underreads females. It almost always puts us at like a lower body fat percentage than we truly are because it's not getting our thighs and stuff. So I don't really like those readers. So I wouldn't really use them. It's kind of a waste of your time and body fat calipers as well, because there's a lot of like visceral fat that you can't pinch with calipers. And there's a lot of areas that fat can be that are not on the standard points of marking if you have somebody who does calipers on you. So it's again, it's another way you can get a general idea, but it's most likely pretty inaccurate. So um, I would definitely recommend mainly in-body scans or DEXA scans because those are the most available. The the DEXA scan will cost more, but again, you're going to get valuable information about your health that is so much more important than just your weight on the scale. To kind of continue the internal considerations that will impact the scale is the day of your cycle. If you're somebody who's naturally cycling, so you're not on birth control and you're not uh, peri or postmenopausal, your day of your cycle is always going to impact how much water your body is holding or not. So on your period and basically day 21 through your bleed part of your cycle, is always going to be your heaviest weight because you're usually holding on to water because your body is doing a big um, system by getting rid of shedding the lining, preparing your body to have all these hormonal shifts, et cetera. So if you're going to weigh yourself with your cycle in mind, I would only weigh on day day six through 10 or take uh, weigh yourself every like Sunday or every Wednesday and take the average of every four of those weights because that's going to give you like a full 30 day cycle. And then you're going to get an average of what you were despite the hormone fluctuations. Okay. So that would be my best tips for those of us who are naturally cycling because it absolutely impacts you. Like I have had so many people I've known that are like, I gained like five pounds on my period. I'm like, I'm so fat. I'm like, what in the world? Like, no, first of all, you're holding on to water. Water is not fat. And two, by the fact that you literally dropped that weight 
like several days after your period, you should understand that there's no possible way that you could lose five pounds of fat and gain it or gain it and then lose it in like the matter of three days. That's obviously water. So understanding that weighing yourself and getting that weight and knowing what that means is so important because almost always the scale is going to show water weight fluctuations, not actually fat. After several months of tracking your weight, and seeing the fluctuations, if you see it starting to slowly trend up, that might be actually fat gain. Or if you're trying to put on muscle, that might be muscle gain. And the same goes in the other direction. If you start to slowly see it go down, you are losing fat. Maybe you're losing muscle. It really depends on what your lifestyle is and what your goals are, how much you're eating, how much you're exercising, etc. But again, when you're weighing yourself, sometimes dehydration can change the scale. Sometimes a high sweat output or like a sauna can change the scale. Heavy weightlifting, because when your muscles tear, your body has a, a recovery mechanism in place where you hold water in those muscles and it helps those grow and heal because that's what you want them to do. But that means you're holding on to more water because you trained those muscles pretty hard. You got them to uh, tear apart, to grow. And so your body is going to hold molecules of water more in those muscles. So your weight's going to go up one to two pounds on average, usually after a heavy weightlifting session. So don't weigh yourself after leg day unless you want that knowledge of like, how much water do I usually hold on to when I'm doing big muscle groups? Um, and again, if your goal is to add muscle, that's adding weight. The scale should go up. Okay. I've had a lot of clients not realize that when you're wanting to add muscle, the scale is going to increase because weight from or muscle weighs more. It's denser. So it's smaller than body fat, but it still is going to add weight <laughs> and that's okay. And that, again, that's where mass isn't directly equivalent to being unhealthy or not. Because again, like I said, with that client, he had a lot of muscle on him. So he was actually leaner and more fit, but the BMI still called him obese. So those are all important internal considerations that can impact the scale. External considerations that a lot of people don't always talk about is that many gyms don't recalibrate scales so they can be several pounds off. Sometimes they're on uneven surfaces that'll mess with the scale as well. And also sometimes it's just simply a bad scale. Like I bought a scale temporarily when I moved back to California that was from Bed Bath & Beyond. And then I found my other scale and it was really interesting when I weighed myself on the new scale from Bed Bath & Beyond, it was three pounds less on average for myself and my fiance when we weighed on it. And then the other scale was more close to the actual weight that I was at the time. And so it was really weird and kind of like off-putting that like three pounds, I mean, three pounds is quite a bit, you know what I mean? So I'm like, if I wanted to feel good about myself, I'd go way on the Bed Bath & Beyond scale. <laughs> but there's a lot of um, room for failing when it comes to qualities of scales. So I wouldn't put a lot of weight, pun intended, on what scale you have. And you can always test your scale if you have like a weight at home. Like the reason I found out that the scale was off was because I put my 25 pound kettlebell on it and it read it as 22 pounds. And then I put my 25 pound kettlebell on the other scale and I read it as 25 pounds. So I knew that that scale was improperly calibrated in the first place, which kind of sucks. Uh, but another thing that's really important to know about home scales they're pretty piss poor at actually getting an accurate body fat percentage, of course, because of all those reasons I just gave you in the body fat percentage scanners. Like the scale is also a biological impotence reader. So it's going to shoot those waves up through your feet. 
into your body from the bottom and guess. And it's almost always off. It's almost always never close to anything. So I almost all of the markers that fancy scales take other than weight are pretty much baloney. A lot of them are built off of like weird algorithms and they actually have no technology in them to actually accurately pull those, pull that data. I guess technically the phrasing is pull those data. (laughs) Data is always a confusing word to me. But anyways, very important to understand that you don't need to buy a scale with a bunch of fancy things on it. I would just buy a good quality scale that maybe has like a Bluetooth tracker because I like having an app where I can see my trends with my weight easily. But I ignore all the other things that it measures because all of it's baloney. None of it is actually able to be accurate by just standing on it with your feet. So I know that a lot of people fall for the body fat percentage or whatever that it pops up with, but unfortunately it's probably inaccurate. But I kind of want to close out this chat today. Hopefully you can better understand a lot of the nuances to scales and the nuances to BMI and better understanding your body fat percentage or your weight in general. But choosing how to use your scale like and what the scale is providing you before you use it is really important because maybe you don't actually need to track your weight. Maybe you should track better markers of your health, such as your grip strength, your body fat percentage, lean muscle mass, fasting blood glucose, resting heart rate, blood pressure, HRV, single leg balance, and more, because those are all important markers that we track in the health world to determine somebody's actual health and longevity. Hardly ever do we care about their weight because as we know, Weight is not directly proportionate to your health, and it's definitely not directly proportionate to your value. I have to just throw that one in there because, again, this is female-oriented, and we almost always value ourselves based off the scale. But if you have a generally neutral relationship with the scale, it could be a good test to learn your body's trends and understand that the weight is just data. And you can weigh yourself maybe daily for an entire month or two, make notes on the fluctuations to better understand what impacts you as an individual. So like maybe you can write down like what you did for exercise the day before, what you ate the day before, drank, you know, how does alcohol affect you? Um, How much did you move the day before or not? Like, did you have a lot of steps or did you not really move at all? And like, what cycle day are you at? Because it's so important that my clients and even myself understand my general cycle fluctuations because that helps me feel Like, okay, I get why I feel like a whale today, you know, I'm about to start my period or I'm holding on to a lot of water retention because I had a big sodium burger and fry meal as a treat meal the other day, you know, whatever it is, it's really important to understand how your individual body will react physically so that you can kind of take away all of this like fake fear of gaining fat because a lot of times we just think that any number that goes up on the scale is fat and it's not a lot of the times it's just water so i hope that understanding that helps you gain more awareness and grace for what's naturally going on in your body day to day because it's going to affect your gravitational pull and that's all that the scale number means so again it almost hardly ever means fat gain but by tracking at least like one day a week consistently or every two weeks again if you have a neutral relationship with a scale then that's a really great way to know am Am I staying in maintenance where I'm maintaining my weight that's healthy? Am I losing weight because that's my goal? 
or am I losing weight? And that's not my goal, you know, because that can be a lot of information. I know a lot of people who inexplicably learn or lose body fat or weight in general can be a lot of muscle loss. And they kind of praise themselves like, oh, I'm getting so skinny. I'm so small again, you know, this or that. And it's just like, okay, but were you trying to? Because that's actually a negative health thing if you're losing weight and you're not specifically trying to. So that's important to know on the other end. Same thing goes if you're putting on weight too fast and you're like, I don't know why I'm not overeating or eating any differently. That's also important information to know. So the scale, again, is a lot of data. It's just so much data, guys. And just treat it as data, not as anything to do with character or value or any of that, because it really isn't. It's just going to relay your gravitational pull of your meat suit here on planet Earth. I just really hope that you come away from this chat with that understanding, because it's so important to me that you feel more confident and empowered understanding that you are not the scale weight. The scale has nothing to do with who you are, your value as a human, and more than that, your character and like how awesome you are and all the cool things you can do and the fact that your body's keeping you alive despite all of the craziness going on. Like your body is an amazing vessel and we have to take care of it and better understand it in order to continue forward in life and thrive. All right, Rebel, that's it for today's episode. I want to invite you to share this with any one in your life that you think could really benefit from this knowledge because if we can continue to support each other through knowledge about our bodies we can all thrive i just hope that you can celebrate your strength and nourishment walk with confidence and i will catch you next week on another episode of rebel wellness if you are still listening thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of rebel wellness If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, I have some exciting news for you. So if you would love to join our newsletter group, you can join us on coachkales.com or you can join my Stan store at stan.store backslash kales, K-A-I-L-E-S. And that's an awesome opportunity for you to snag some freebies that I've created, including a macro hack grocery list that is going to help you kind of design a custom grocery list, especially for following macronutrients. Because as you know, if you didn't listen to my macros in May series, I would go back to those episodes because it has been a game changer for so many of our listeners for getting more on top of how to shape their physique and their health goals with the food they're eating. So don't sleep on that. Go get your free download. Or I also for fun have a little 14 day ab challenge that I actually have used with my clients and my clients have had some really surprising, amazing, well, surprising that only in 14 days, you can have such great progress with your core strength and your abdominal muscle tone in general. So that is also free on my stand store. So again, S-T-A-N, like Stan the man, stand.store backslash kills. And you can also join our newsletter from that. And if you would like to reach out to me, chat, maybe work together, you can also contact me through my website, coachkales.com. And I would absolutely love you to join our Rebel Wellness Podcast Instagram, which is at Rebel Wellness Podcast. And you can also join my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales. That's where it all began. That's where I share the most um, kind of custom to what I do 
work on specifically with my clients on that page. So join that one. It's all feminine wellness focused. And I share some great stuff, some goofy stuff, things that you just don't want to miss as well as healthy recipes and things and easy recipes because we all kind of need some easy grab and go things, don't we? So I would love you to join both those pages as you'll be joining a community of like-minded females who are all committed to living their best lives. So hit that follow button. And I would love if you felt the need to share and rate our podcast. We would love that. Anyways, thanks for listening. And I hope to catch you next Sunday or say hello on the gram.